It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olivia to DC, we break down. Break it all down. The stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Back in the bottom line, News Radio 610 K1A, hour number two, Monday afternoon. Rob Francis, Greg hanging with you and joining us as he does weekly, Monday afternoons, representing the 4th Congressional District, Representative Dan Newhouse. Good afternoon to you, sir. Thanks for coming in. Good afternoon to you, Greg. Uh, appreciate you guys having me here and uh, appreciate uh, having an opportunity to talk about some of the important issues of the day. So one thing that is definitely coming up uh, next week uh, as part of your role with the Western Caucus, uh, you will be bringing a number of lawmakers to our area uh, to take a look at the energy resources and um, the number of different types of energy that we produce here in our area, and that will include a visit to the Ice Harbor Dam. Absolutely right. So uh, a lot of people may not know this, but I am chairman of something that's called the Western Caucus, which is a, a made up of members of Congress from across the United States, not just the Western United States, but all over the country. There's 75 of us so far this term, which is, I think, the highest number we've ever had. And we focus on those things that are important to particularly rural America, but natural resource issues, forestry issues, agricultural issues, you know, water, air, and land um, the issues of being located in an area that ha- uh, has a lot of federal land ownership, all kinds of things that are important for p- people, particularly in the West, but all over the country. And I'm happy to say that we're having a large group of members of Congress from the Western Caucus, as well as their staff, which is equally important to bring those young people here, too, to expose them to show off what we have here in the state of Washington in the world of energy. So you're right. We're going we're gonna to show them up close and personal, a hydroelectric project, so they can go through the locks. They can tour the turbines. They can see what we do for fish passage and witness firsthand the things that are we, the benefits that we derive from dams. We're also going to talk to them a lot about nuclear energy. The fact that we have the only generating generating station in this whole region of the country is pretty significant. And as you know, we want to build on that industry. We have a, a very bright future here in eastern Washington with that. And, and the, another thing we're going to show them, and we're going to visit the National Laboratory, the PNNL. Oh, wow. And they have a, a, a lot of neat things going on as it relates to the modernization of the grid and making it more efficient and smart and all those kinds of things. So I think this is going to be a really good tour to expose people from all over the country exactly what an all-of-the-above energy portfolio looks like. You know, and if I remember correctly, this area has been selected for the first small modular reactor. Yes, that's right. We're very proud about that. Uh, Department of Energy, along with X Energy and Grant County PUD are working together to build the very first one in the country right here in, the east, in central Washington. So that's a pretty cool thing. And we're looking at this as just one, the first of many on into the future. Now, we know that there has been a concerted effort by 
this state's governor. Now, Senator Patty Murray has joined on that bandwagon regarding the Snake River dams. But it's kind of interesting because I think it was this morning or yesterday it came out that the Chinook runs on the Snake River um, not only are up over last year, but they've already surpassed last year's numbers. And there's still 86 days left in the run. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Rob. Um, We have surpassed not only the last two years of numbers, but now the 10-year average, we've gone beyond that. Uh, And so this, this, I think, is just bodes very well for some of the things that have been going on to improve salmon runs. Um, The bottom line about this, though, you've got to remember, these these numbers are cyclical. Mm-hmm. Just a couple of years ago, people were, you know, talking about the end of the world as it relates to salmon. Oh, my gosh, we're not going to have – they're going to be functionally extinct by 2025. I don't know if you remember hearing that from some of our tribal friends and environmentalists. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show that that's, that wasn't the case. Now, I can't say that these numbers are going to maintain them that this high level uh, forever from here on out because there's a lot of things that are going on here. It's very complex. But it proves to to us, I think, that we can honestly say, as I've been saying for a long time, dams and salmon can and do coexist. It's interesting because I'm sure the governor will look at this data and science and probably use the same data and science that he has with COVID um, and, and, and kind of skew those numbers however they work. But I know that that Part of the Western representation in Congress, Kathy McMorris-Rogers, has been very vocal, particularly as of late, regarding all of the dumping of raw sewage into the Puget Sound, which is actually the salmon population that the orcas eat and not the salmon, really, that comes out of the Snake Rivers. You know, isn't that something? It's uh, it's not in my backyard. Well, guess what? Don't look in my backyard either if you <laughs> live in Seattle. Um, raw sewage has regularly been been let go into Puget Sound uncontrolled. Uh, and on top of that, we get the runoff from all the, you know, the parking lots and the freeways and the roads, all the hard surfaces that in, the, in that metropolitan area. Uh, you know, at some point, everybody in the state has to, has to look at all around them and see what's going on here. Look at the big picture. It's not just one thing that you can't see from, from the Space Needle that's causing it. I mean, there's a lot of factors here. It's very complex, and, and, and it's unfair for anybody to focus on one thing, and that being the Snake River dams. We're talking with Congressman Dan Newhouse from the 4th District here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. So one thing I want to touch on with you real quick, and you, we know that, that the president is um, in Japan right now, but there's been this conversation about uh, the World Health Organization and uh, this memorandum that they plan on signing regarding giving the World Health Organization 194 nations uh, the ability to declare states of emergency when it comes to pandemics and things like that. Um, And there is some talk that Joe Biden may sign on to this. I don't know that he's done that as of yet, but there's some talk that he may have, have... may do something like that. Does he have the ability to sign on to things like that? And and I'll frame it this way, because we know the Iran deal, that Obama didn't run it through Congress, signed off on it, and then just dropped the pallet full of cash in Iran. Does Biden have the ability to sign on to any treaty like this without Congress's approval? 
So yes, a lot of a lot has been made about this over the last uh, almost week now, and a lot of misinformation out there. I I, I want to make people feel better about this. In our elected form of government, uh, the, the president cannot unilaterally turn control over 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 us, the United States, in the decisions we make here. Uh, to another entity. That's not how it works in the United States of America. We will, uh, Congress has a say in treaties, as you know, uh, that we have an elected representative form of government. Uh, the president is not king. Uh, there, there are um, balances that are put into place just for that very reason. So um, certainly, We've seen historically, you mentioned the Iran nuclear deal, some of the backdoor things that the last President Obama uh, um, um, did. Uh, So we have to really be uh, very, very uh, watchful that this president follows the rule of law. So let me see if I can – if I state this incorrectly, let me know. What Obama did with the Paris Accords and with Iran, they were technically non-binding agreements because Congress did not approve them, but it didn't stop him from dumping money in. Right. So did, I mean, Congress had to approve the transfer of funds at some point, didn't they? Or did he, was he just, did, he didn't have the authorization to just turn around and dump off the, and this is the confusing part about both of these, is Congress didn't ratify either one of them, but yet they're getting checks. Well, in Iran's case, they got a pallet load of money. Exactly. Supposedly taken out of some fund. It was unfrozen assets yeah. that, that were supposedly Iran's yeah. already that were just dropped in. That cash was dropped in the pallet. But the money to the Paris Paris uh, Climate Agreement, which is just global wealth redistribution. Which is why our past president got us out of that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that. Presidents can do some things that are, are beyond the pale, and whether they should or not is absolutely in question. But I'm saying Congress has the obligation, obligation to be uh, uh, to make sure that nothing happens that uh, does not go through the proper process. And, we, and when we are in the majority, come next January, you can be certain that we will continue to hold this administration's feet to the fire. A couple of things we want to touch on real quick. Um, We're talking with Congressman Dan Newhouse from the 4th District here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. And uh, Congressman Newhouse, wanted to ask you, you mentioned Patty Murray, Senator Patty Murray. Um, I think it was last week she had uh, quite the exchange between herself and um, Secretary of Energy uh, Jennifer Granholm regarding the Hanford cleanup site. Her assertion was that the, the... the federal government had really underfunded the Hanford cleanup for next fiscal year. I don't know if you've seen those numbers. Are you worried about it? Is the federal government standing up for its obligations when it comes to Hanford? I mean, is there is there an issue there? So uh, this is something that I, I think people need to understand that, um, you know, we've been successful as a congressional delegation uh, making sure the federal government lives up to its legal and moral obligation when it comes to the hand for cleanup. That doesn't just automatically happen. It really doesn't. Uh, this takes a tremendous a lot of effort and work on, on our part to make sure the federal the, the administration recognizes that obligation. 
it, it's not easy. And as you saw, it, who was it that said, uh, Nancy Pelosi says, you can tell me your priorities, but show me your budget. <laughs> obviously not a priority for the Biden administration. So we will work in a bipartisan way because we have to. That's who's, you know, you dance with, with who's at the party. Senator Murray and I are going to work in a bipartisan way to make sure that funding is there because it's so essential. But this is just indicative of the, I think, lack of understanding of of the obligation and the responsibility on the part of this administration. Well, if I remember correctly, the last two administrations had budgets that had come out that yeah. had cut funding to Hanford and successful lobbying got the money back yeah. into the budgets in both That's of the right. previous administrations right. as well. It seems seemingly, and you're right, it's both Republican and Democrat administrations that do this. And part of the reason is you know, we're 3,000 miles away from the, from the nation's capital. We're not, we're not producing some you know, interesting new piece of equipment or weapon. We're cleaning up a, a, a mess that was left over uh, in the 1940s and later. And that's just not very appealing for a lot of people. There's a lot of other priorities in place that people want to. And so we have to continue to, to remind and stand uh, up to the, to the administrations, regardless of party, to, to make sure this happens. I don't know how close you are to Secretary Granholm, how much you've dealt with her, how much you've talked with her. Based on what you know, does she understand the criticality of the hand for cleanup? Does she know? She didn't at first. Okay. Uh, when, she, when she first came into office, uh, I can tell you that uh, she knew very little uh, with, about nuclear energy, about uh, fossil fuels. Uh, uh, in fact, I, I, you know, she's the secretary of energy. <laughs> she, had, she had a steep learning curve in front of her. She's getting better. She's getting better. She's, uh, I, I think the last time she, she in fact, uh, we had her in front of the Western Caucus to talk about some of the things. That was early on in her administration. I tell you, it left, there left a lot to be desired. I just, she was just in front of our energy and water subcommittee about two or three weeks ago, and I saw a greater understanding of the needs and, and the, the obligations that the federal government has. But there's still, and maybe we can get into some of the fossil fuel issues, there's still a tremendous, I think, misdirection of where this country should be going policy-wise, as it relates to energy in the United States. Well, you know, one of the things that, that's coming, and the money was, I believe, just recently allotted to finish the Odessa project. Yeah. Well, so, take big strides there, absolutely. Yeah. To, so that so that's coming. And then from what I've seen, and I got a, got a little bit of a look at this recently, there's an expansion proposed for the Columbia Basin Project to take it out to Ritzville. It's actually a, it would be a culmination of the original plan. It, right. It's ne- the Columbia Basin Project has has never been completed. Right. And so it, it, it wouldn't be an expansion okay. necessarily. It would be a completion. So we would fill it all the way out to Ritzville. And my understanding is that's coming as well. That, that, that That's earmarked that... It, it it needs it needs an I dotted and a T crossed yet, but it's closer now than it's probably been in a long time. Well, let me just say we've made tremendous a lot uh, a tremendous amount of prog- progress uh, in the last administration. You know, building up the um, the understanding 
on the part of people in federal agencies on what's at stake here and the potential for production, agricultural production in the Columbia Basin, it, it takes some time. And, and let me just say, too, that th- this last part of the, of the project is the most expensive part. And so it's going to take a, lo- a, a lot of resources to realize uh, the co- full completion. But we have, and we've made a lot of progress, and in no small part because of many of the people that live right here in central Washington being strong, strong advocates for, for making this, completing this dream that we have uh, on the Columbia Basin. For those people that may not be aware of it, what kind of a game changer is this when it comes to water rights and so on and so forth? So, um, I don't know if you recognize or realize this, what we're sitting on here. You know, we're, we're already one of the most fertile, productive agricultural areas in the whole world. We can, we can further expand that. In fact, this is probably one of the only major regions on the entire globe that has the production potential that we have right here in the Columbia Basin to increase the amount of, of food products that could be uh, produced right here is, is truly amazing. And as we face a growing global population, uh, this is going to be a key a, a part of us being able to feed people moving on into the future. No, we only have a couple minutes left with you, Congressman. But before we do, I want to talk about something that's um, been a little controversial, to say the least. Uh, we've had a couple people ask us about this, and so we want to forward it to you while you are with oh, us, and yeah. that is uh, H.R. 550, which is a House bill that's certainly caused a bit of controversy. Um, both Democrat and Republican co-sponsors on the bill, there are many that have said that this would create an agency or an ability to track people who do not get vaccinations. Talk to us about H.R. 550 and and what this bill is. H.R. 550 is an effort, or, or was an effort, we passed it several months ago in the House, uh, to actually do exactly the opposite of what people are concerned that it may may do. We wanted to prevent um, a national database that could be used to to identify individuals who have not received a vaccine. This would help put sideboards around that information so that we could keep those those databases confidential. That's why I supported it. And and there was unfortunately a lot of misinformation about this after the vote. It's interesting to point out that some very right, right uh, news organizations have actually come out and clarified their original positions in, op- uh, in opposition of the bill and now have recognized that it doesn't do what some people were saying it was going to do. Because this came up in 2021, because this came up in the, in the, in the midst of the COVID pandemic, mm-hmm. Many people believe that this is around the COVID vaccine, but this 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 is about any type of vaccine, MMR, yeah. shingles, any kind of vaccine that somebody would get, it would protect their private information. Absolutely. It's not just COVID-19. And, and just as you mentioned, there's a lot of things that there are immunizations for, and who knows into the future uh, what we might be facing. But But one thing we don't want is for this this personal information to become public 
and and used in ways that we don't want. And th- this was this was a a very re- um, Republican oriented effort to put those sideboards in place to control that information, make sure it stays confidential as it should be. We take a time out, Congressman Newhouse. Congressman Dan Newhouse from the 4th District joining us here on the program. Appreciate the time you spent with us this week. We're going to skip Memorial Day since we'll all be gone, and then we'll catch up with you first week of June. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it.